For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. You can get a low intro APR on their platinum credit card. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up to ignite the legend inside of you and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're gonna show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode. Marcus, Morgan, John. Hello, guys. Yeah. Hello. Happy New Year. We're all back in the studio. Feels Here good. Here we are. Feels good. Here we are. Here, back. In, in real life. I've got a Patreon question. Send it. What is your favorite rainy day activity? College, awesome dove. College football. Well, let's see. I mean, like... What, 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 let's walk this. That's a great question. So when I was a kid... More in-depth. I liked crawfishing in the ditch. Did y'all have crawfish in the ditch? Okay, no. wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. You said right now. Both. I know it's different. I was thinking about it too. The things that I do now as an adult, I don't crawfish in the ditch anymore, but that was fun. Yeah, we did that. Sure. I mean, if it was a cold, rainy day, we were out in the woods playing army. Yeah, that's when we play paintball, then we get the, or try to find a, a way to sled through the ditches on, on something, usually a hydro sled or whatever. Man, if it's cold and rainy right now, I'm watching, and it's football season, I'm on the couch. Mama's cooking chili. I'm done. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Cook a cook a, a chili or a soup or something like yeah. that. Lonesome Dub, Band of Brothers. It's a good yeah. All right. What about you, Michelle? Yeah. Uh, you know, I was a reader. I was a total dork. I'd just curl up with a you know cup of coffee and a uh, book. But it's rainy every day here in Washington. I was about to say, so, you know, you must read. Well, that should be a perfect question for you. So, what do you got? What do y'all do on a normal? Because curling up next to the fire with a book on a rainy day—that's that's something too, for sure. Especially if it's cold, cold rainy day. Yeah. So here it's just you know you live life in the rain. It's it's kind of a challenge, but you know. I remember when I we were, I was I was always there in the wintertime, and all I want to do is crawl up in a corner and sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Because if we weren't doing that, we're in the water. Is it June? Is it June? June, July. What? There's one month where it doesn't rain. It's, it's beautiful. You can see Mount Rainier all the way down from. June, uh, I think. Or, is it Rainier? Or oh yeah, summers are amazing. Summer. Right? You know, I can June, tell you, July, it's not. August, it's yeah, great. it's not November so. to February. It is absolutely. Yeah. All right. All right. Great Patreon question. I like that. I like. I like a good rainy day. We've got a great guest in store, guys. Michelle Black is a mother of two boys. She's a gold star wife, and she's an author. And she's an advocate for accountability and transparency in the U.S. military after her husband, Brian Black, was one of the four soldiers killed in an ambush on October 4th, 2017. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor to be here. No, Michelle. Yes, ma'am. Looking forward Thank to this. So much for being here. 
So we got to take it way back, I guess. Why don't you kind of, uh, before we get into the weeds, why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about you? Maybe kind of tell us a little about Brian, how y'all met. So I grew up um, California, which we just talked about, kind of high desert uh, between Mojave. There's there's this mountain range that you go up into and then you drop down into Bakersfield. So I grew up in this tiny little farming town called Tachapi. Um, so big family, small town, you know, it was awesome. Really great. And then I moved up after college and went skiing up in Mammoth Lakes, moved up there. And I was uh, instructing snowboarding and um, helping out at this church, was involved at the church in town. And I actually ran into Brian at church one day and it kind of just grew from there. Um, at the end of the ski season, I started backpacking and he started joining me. And the next thing we knew, it was just the two of us and nobody else. And uh, he decided we ought to get married. And I took some convincing <laughs> and then uh, the next summer we were married. So Happened pretty quick, but wow. best decision we both ever made. Where'd you, where'd so. you go? Where'd you go to college? Uh, Cal Poly up in San Luis Obispo on the central coast. Oh, wow. oh yeah. I've been oh, up there. Yeah, we know where that is. It's beautiful up there too. Yeah. Northern California. Most California is beautiful, especially NorCal. It's, it's awesome up there. Yeah. I loved it. So what, what kind how, how did he grow up? Yeah. Give a little background on him. Brian was born on Camp Pendleton. His dad was a Marine. So they grew oh, up. Oh, so like all on over. Camp Pendleton. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. a Marine brat. So I, um, when I met him, he had, they'd been living in Germany. And then he'd actually moved back to Washington State where his mom settled um, while his dad continued contracting and working with the Marines and, you know, deploying and all of that. So um, Brian actually ended up in a, uh, program through school where he graduated high school at the same time he got his AA degree. So he actually graduated college at 21 years old. Um, he went to Central Washington University and after two years of wrestling on their team and finishing up his bachelor, uh, um, I think he got a business degree, then he headed down to Mammoth to take a break and do some skiing. And so that's kind of how we hooked up. All right. So I get married. You guys, is that a Lejeune? I mean, I'm sorry. I, I got Marine in my head. Um, yeah, so when y'all got married, it was young, and then he just kind of, that started the life? Yeah, he wasn't in the service when we met. He was just, you know, working as a contractor around town. Um, actually, he was doing some construction, but mainly for income, he was playing online poker for a living. And, um, so we started having kids and, um, Wait, right. You guys started, you guys started, you guys office. got married and had kids while he was an online gamer. He was really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently you can make a great living at it. I mean, online yeah, stuff. We paid off our first car and had a baby without insurance on it pretty much. So, um, yeah, it was, it, it, we did well. And then um, when Obama came into office, they were, they started restricting um, banking laws regarding um, online poker. So it began to be that you needed to have offshore accounts to move your money onto these websites to do gaming. So it basically crashed the, uh, it, made, it made it very um, kind of sketchy to put your money onto these sites, having to use offshore accounts and all of that. So um, he got it out of that. And by that time was the crash of 2008. Um, and so 
having now worked with his degree and having, you know, gamer on his, um, <laughs> uh, you know, applications was not a good thing. So he couldn't get a job uh, doing anything that would support our family. So he signed up for the military. How old were the kids at the time? Yeah, yeah one, one or two. Um, yeah, we had two boys at that time. And I want to say they were one and two and a half at the time when he signed up and he'd always wanted, you know, it wasn't like he just signed up because he had to honestly, Brian had nonstop talked about being a Navy SEAL or a green beret. And there are just some people who are born for it. And I'm sure you guys know, it's just who they are. And Brian was one of those people who, when you met him, you knew this is probably where it's going to go someday. Um, so it didn't surprise me at all when he said, Hey, what do you think about this? Me joining. And I thought, yeah, absolutely. And when he got bored after a year in and said, I want to go to SFAS, I was like, you know, just basically waiting for him to tell me that. So. Well, what'd you think about that? Yeah. As a spouse. I thought it was great. Brian, you know, he had so much energy that when he was doing regular army, he was bored. So he would go in, he'd do his job, then he'd come home and he'd, he'd start, uh, you know, he started making um, (laughs) these little coins. Um, He started that people were selling like silver and gold and they would make their own little, you know, grain, however many grain silver. So he bought all this stuff and was making that. And then he was getting bored with that. So then he was starting to buy things. So he basically, he's just starting all of his own businesses because he's, you know, whatever's going on at work isn't enough to to keep his mind occupied. So the minute he said SFAS, I was like, yes, please, because I'm already at home. I've got a child who's autistic. So he's on the autism spectrum and he was a 24 seven job. Um, So really there wasn't much Brian could do at that point. I was hardly seeing him between all the appointments and just dealing with the two kids. So if he wanted to go to SFAS, that was a perfect time to do it. Oh, you wanted him out of there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, please. Like, wow. Was tinkering, oh, you're, doing, you're, you're a special breed of <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. I've never heard it said like that. Ever. You're like the first person is like, oh, you want to go be a Green Beret? Yeah, go ahead. I got the kids. My wife is like, no. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> like, you want to go to SF? You crazy? <laughs> Come take care of this kid. All right. All right. Go ahead. You know, we met when we were old. When I was older anyway, I was 27. So I was used to doing things on my own. So... You know, we kind of came together always doing our own thing. And we would, you know, I always say we wanted to be together. Like we wanted each other. We didn't need each other. And so I loved when he was there um, and I wanted him around. But when we were that busy and that kind of, you know, he was going crazy with all these little businesses because he wasn't satisfied. I'd rather him go off and take the time to do what satisfied him and come back a happier and better person for it. Sure. You know. Oh yeah, there's some, we, we got yeah, buddies like that. You can tell they were in the mil, in the teams their whole time, and then when they got out is when they got divorced because they were together all the time. They didn't the, yeah. the the life that they each one of them had had up to that point was about independence. I think that's why hobbies come up. Like you got, I mean, y'all get sick of us being at the house all the time. Like, hey, go hunt or go fish or something <laughs> like that, right? Go, build, yes. go do something with your boys. Get away from me. The absence that's makes exactly the heart right. grow fonder for sure, right? For the 
ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Yes, that is very true. So even when Brian would come home from deployments once he was a Green Beret, he would, um, you know, he would start something like he had just started all the woodworking before he went off in 2017 and was killed. So we had a whole shop that he was building. I mean, he would spend hours every night sharpening blades and different equipment that he then was building this, I mean, ridiculous um, woodworking wood shop. And, you know, he built me all this custom cabinetry that summer and completely redid our um, bottom floor of our house. Like just, yeah, completely redid it in between going on vacations and training for his next deployment. So he just, and, and he was also continuing to work on his French Hausa and um, Arabic. So he just was constantly going. So yeah, it, it was insane. Oh, and he built a, he also, um, he, he wanted to get out. And right before then, before we decided whether or not he should re-up, he had discussed well, what if I get out, what would I do? And I said, well, if you could do anything in the world, what what in the world would you want to do? What would make you the most satisfied? And he'd always wanted to be a day trader and create a um, basically an algorithm Wait, for stock trading. I'm sorry, just back that up one more time. You like physically said that out loud? What 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 would satisfy you as a <laughs> As a job, you go. No, we're sitting here taking. We're sitting here taking that because yeah, we're taking notes. Talking about me, I'm like, I'm gonna get my wife. You boys are gonna get in trouble. You don't need us in here anymore, Michelle. It's like somebody call my wife. Yeah, well, I got. I mean, I'm lucky too. I had the y'all come from the same stock. I just a ride or die is what we what we call them around here. I mean, y'all just you love your lives and then love us being in them. And then and and give us the opportunity to live our side just because it's entertaining to y'all. And I mean, y'all are special. Nope, it's not how my wife thinks at all. I mean, <laughs> at all zero. Yeah, but the whole thing was like, hey, what do you go do it? I was like, man, that's 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 awesome, Let, man. I've I've got to back up though. You should write a book, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, I've got to ask you though, Michelle, because you were the first woman in your family to graduate high school, so you had your own kind of you know upbringing around. You went to school, you went to college, so. As a full-time mom, you're letting, you know, Brian kind of go live whatever he wanted to do. How was that for you kind of in that? Well, it was interesting because um, in my family, typically the women stayed. So my family had always kind of moved together. So they all lived in one town and stayed there. Um, and it was really, I was the first in the line of women on my mom's side. So 
um, to graduate high school. So my great grandma, my grandma, in fact, my grandma gave me these earrings when I graduated high school, these diamonds, because it was such a big deal for her that I graduate. Um, and yeah, and then went on to college and all of that. So um, even just leaving Tehachapi was different for my family. Now there's a couple more who have left. Um, I think I've got I want to say maybe five cousins out of 26 who have left town. What size um, town? What, 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 Hatchby, what, what size town is that? I mean, it's farming. Um, what, what kind of farming are we talking about? I lived about? there, there were about 30,000 people. Okay, I don't know how many are there now. Yeah, it's big. Yeah. I mean, it's not tiny, but when you're talking about being related to about, you know, 150 of the people in that town and we own a lot of the businesses and property, it, you know, everybody oh, knows did who you are. Did, did your family settle that town? No, we moved there. Um, we actually lived in Mammoth Lakes up until I was about, uh, I want to say seven years old, eight years old. And then we moved to Tehachapi. And everybody moved from Mammoth to Tehachapi. And compared to Mammoth and Crowley Lake where we lived, that was huge. Um, because I think we had 9,000 year-round residents at the time, or maybe 7,000 in Mammoth. I'm still hung up on the fact that she was. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So when he left for his, so you got so we're at, we're at reup and day trader, and then you guys decided to he just y'all y'all pulled the trigger on him, reenlisting. We did because what ended up happening was he loved the idea of being a, a, a trader. So then he created a stock trading algorithm in between all the other chaos that year. And he was saying that um, the degree of predictability was shocking and he was really excited about it, but he was going to need some money to launch it. So we re-upped and took that bonus, um, which was ironic because Brian was going a million miles an hour and he ended up deciding he also wanted to invest it in crypto to sit there and hopefully grow while he was deployed. So rather than putting it into our bank account while he left, it went into cryptocurrency, which then I had to figure out once everything happened, how do I access cryptocurrency? Uh-huh. So, um, hopefully it was Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That seems to be doing oh, pretty good now. No, you want to hear a funny story about Bitcoin. Tell Just, me. We'll go way back in 2009 when he first enlisted, he told me that there was this new thing out called blockchain and he wanted to put his first, I think it was 3000 at the time, but sign on bonus into this blockchain. And I was like, well, we're already poor. So what does it matter? We're not going to be more yeah, poor. More, yeah. <laughs> so he put the $3,000 into Bitcoin. And then he came back to me the next week and said, Hey, you know, Bitcoin doesn't have the scalability that it'll need to be successful because in the future there would be hard forks um, created in Bitcoin that would make it more scalable. But at the time he said, this isn't scalable. So I'm just going to throw the money into this other altcoin, this other coin um, called Doggy Coin. And um, <laughs> because it's funny. And, you know, a couple of years later, the meme came out, it changed to Dogecoin. And I had a, uh, when he died, I had a crypto wallet full of Dogecoin, which was worthless. And um, Bitcoin was shooting up to 20,000 a piece. And we had bought it at originally at under a penny a piece. And I just was, uh, you know, uh. 
Those yeah. are one of those that stories you should take. never tell or yeah. forget about. <laughs> now that Bitcoin's worth like, what, 30-something thousand a coin? Uh, 42, 42 last time I checked. Ugh. Yeah, I'm, I'm still hoping for that, you know, that Dogecoin to hit the moon or whatever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, well, me, well, yeah, both. <laughs> I've got my Doge. Okay. That's great. So you got he got back in there another round. What, what year was deployment when he passed? Was that was 17? 2017. Yeah, he re-upped, I want to say in April or May of 2017. And um, they left uh, for that deployment at the end of August. And the ambush occurred on October 4th. So they were over there, maybe in country, actually on the ground at, at Wallam, maybe five weeks when that happened. What, what group was he with? Seventh group? He was with third group, third group out of Fort Bragg. Okay. So if, if you don't mind, I think our listeners would like to hear exactly how that played out or is, if you share the story just a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, gosh, I don't even know where to start. Uh, do you want to tell, do you want me just to tell the overview of what happened on the ground? Uh, well, or? just so, just so people know, yeah, we're just, just get relative, the timeline re- yeah, relative timeline where like, you, it's you deployed got to, to Africa and okay, Talk so about whatever you um, want. yeah, he got deployed for this was his second deployment to Niger. Last time they were in Marathi, which is more southern. This time they were in Awalam, which was up closer to the Mali border. It was um, north uh, northwestern. Um, so they were um, they left August twenty eighth, and I talked to him. I want to say two or three times, and then October fourth, a thing came across the newswire stating that a team had been attacked up near the Mali border. And my mother-in-law called me and essentially said, Hey, there's been this team attacked. And I pretty much told her that's Brian's team. I knew they were out working along the Mali border here and there. Um, I didn't know they were working that close. And that's because originally they weren't, that was the, the mission they were on. What ended up happening is they were on a one-day mission, and it got extended and extended two more times sure. until they were up right on the Mali border, which is heavy with um, terrorist activity. Um, and they had no backup, no air support, nothing. And they were about five hours from any help. So um, when I got the word from my mother-in-law, I knew, I said, okay, that was Brian's team. Brian's dead. Um, I got the knock about two hours later stating that he was in fact killed in action along with three other men, three other Americans and five Nigerians. And it took a long, well, at the time, actually, when I got the knock, they didn't know about um, David. So they actually just said that there was one missing in action. And so for a couple days, I want to say it was about 48 hours after the incident, David Johnson was missing and he was their support mechanic. Um, and then they ended up finding him under a tree, um, not far from maybe a mile from the um, ambush, ambush site. And um, he was returned home and there was a lot of controversy surrounding that. We all received phone calls from President Trump. And most people remember this incident because there were words back and forth between Trump and one of the wives where she said that he told her um, basically he knew what he signed up for, but it still hurts anyway. And then it kind of broke out into a huge political fight with the media. 
and then um, a, a little bit of a Twitter back and forth between her and him, I want to say. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Then an investigation was started by AFRICOM, and not long after that happened, media outlets were reporting that the team had gone rogue and acted like a bunch of cowboys. Um, and of course, anybody who knows Green Berets, knows special ops, they don't go rogue, especially an entire team. If you had told me one man had, I, I might consider that, but an entire team, particularly my husband, they, they don't go rogue. Um, then not long after that, CBS had acquired a um, propaganda video that ISIS had made using head cam footage that um, militants had stolen off the body of one of the men killed. And in it uh, was, they show the, the death of Brian, my husband, Jeremiah and Dustin. And that was released on um, CBS News first then SoftRep, and it went and just spread like crazy across Facebook, Twitter, um, YouTube, all of social media. Um, then there was a, <laughs> there was so much, then um, National Geographic had done a um, thing, like a TV series called Chain of Command, and they had just finished filming um, one of the episodes on my husband's team. So that released around April. Um, and finally, at the end of April, the, the families were briefed by um, AFRICOM, and we were essentially told what we'd heard in the media, which was the team went rogue, specifically the team captain, Captain Perizzini, and that it was basically he issued paperwork that was unacceptable. But what was ironic was as I asked them questions, they weren't able to fully answer my questions. They were both misleading and they also outright lied to me um, at one point. So by the end of the, of the brief, I felt more confused than when I went in. And um, that was very frustrating feeling like, you know, first of all, they couldn't give us a detailed timeline of events on the ground which seemed unacceptable to me if they'd come to the conclusion that the team was at fault, they should at least be able to give me a detailed timeline of what happened. The second thing was that my father-in-law had asked about um, whether or not they had done a second risk assessment for sending my husband's team alone to the border because initially they were supposed to have a Helleborn unit leading the mission. And we were told that yes, they had run a second threat assessment and we would find out later that in fact they had not. Um, 
The next thing that happened was there was a media brief. General Waldhauser came on and stated at one point that while all teams on the continent were performing optimally, this team was not indicative of what special operators do. At that point, I realized my husband and all the men who had fought and died alongside him were both were just being completely dishonored and treated as though when you die with a green beret on your head, you are no longer worthy of that title. And so I decided at that point, I was done. I would figure it out myself. Keep going. How the, I got, can't wait to hear how this unfolded. Because yeah, everybody was, it seemed like everybody, even the, all the way up the chain of command was just not giving answers or just didn't have the answers, for, I guess, from what I'm understanding. Yeah, well, and what was interesting is that's what I thought. So I thought, okay, no big deal. What what we want, I mean, I was frustrated with what I heard coming out of General Waldhauser, which was basically just paying this team as, you know, not legitimate um, or capable. Um, so I thought, well, I'll get the detailed timeline of events on the ground and start from there. So I asked the men on the team if they would trust me. At that point, they didn't trust media. They were looking at a whole separate investigation. They were worried about it moving from being a 15-6 investigation into more of like an Article 95. Um, so they were starting to get lawyers. And um, so they weren't very comfortable talking to anybody. But they ended up speaking with me one-on-one -on -one and I recorded their interviews. And once I pieced it together and I received the redacted report, I realized that the disparities between what AFRICOM said happened on the ground and what the men said happened on the ground were enough that it led me to believe we were purposely being misled by AFRICOM in order to cover for the officers who were responsible for the mission because they had not been held accountable for their part. Only the lower level um, guys such as Captain Perizzini and um, even Major Alan Van San, who was on paternity leave at the time, were being held accountable, but they were being punished for things like lack of pre-deployment training, um, which they actually weren't responsible for. Captain Perez, uh, uh, Major Alan Van San wasn't in even in his position when the pre-deployment training took place. And it wasn't his responsibility to validate the training. The validation of the training was uh, the responsibility of an officer to two levels up, which would have been Lieutenant Colonel Painter, who happened to be the same man who ordered the mission and pushed the men ahead. And when I talked to the men on the ground, they said adamantly, each one individually on their own, that they, had specifically said, we need to return to base. This is not a good mission. We are not comfortable with it. And they pushed back multiple times as far as they could and kept being forced ahead by this lieutenant colonel. And yet this lieutenant colonel in the first round of punishments wasn't touched and neither was his superior officer. Um, the uh, battalion commander who was back in, um, or no, third group commander who was back in Germany at the time and was in, was on all the uh, video teleconference or teleconferences and whatnot to set up the mission. So I began to realize that these upper level officers who were responsible for the mission and responsible for all of the pre-deployment training 
were not affected by the punishments or by the investigation. And yet the guys at the lowest levels who had nothing to do with either of those things were being punished for them. What was the outcome? Any, clar well, any clarity or is it just yeah, where we're sitting now. On, on that side, not yours? I know we're, we're getting to where you went with this, but. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, I think it became so obvious. And I mean, even General Mattis, when he saw who was punished, he happened to be the Secretary of Defense at the time. And he demanded that there be a second um, look into this into the investigation. And so he had it opened back up, but then he happened to um, resign right around that time. So then a new secretary of defense came in and then it, you know, it kind of came up with the same results. So essentially Captain Perzini pushed back. I wrote a letter on his behalf. My father-in-law wrote a letter on his behalf. I had no idea what was going on with Major Alan Van Sen. I figured that out later after he had already lost his career. Um, so at that time, Captain Perizzini, actually his go more was rescinded, but once the second round of punishments came through, once again, he was given another go more. Um, and again, these go mores kept going in his personal or, um, permanent file, as well as that's what happened to Alan Van Sun and, um, the higher level officers who received them. They received them in their local files, except for one who was already set to retire. So he received uh, one in his permanent file right before he was retiring. So it didn't make any difference. Um, so that's basically what happened. Lieutenant Colonel Painter finally got to go more in his local file. And then he just moved along and was put into positions that were even above his rank. Um, so somebody somewhere, I'm assuming, and from everything I've been told, um, is he's protected somewhere much higher up the chain. This led you into, I guess, the journey that take, took you to, to write Sacrifice then, huh? Yes. Yeah. Initially, honestly, what I thought is I'm, someone's going to write about the Niger ambush because whenever there's an incident, you know, lone survivor, somebody's going to write it. And the people who should write it are the people who were there, not a journalist. And so I told these guys, I know you're not up for it. I am like, I'll do it. And you guys can, anytime I do or say anything you're not comfortable with, Hey, let me know and I'll fix it. You know, I'm going to do it right. But I also want you to know it's your story. And if at any point before I put it out, you change your mind, I'll pull you from it. I'll pull your interviews or I'll pull the whole thing down. Like up until I sign on the line with a publisher at that point, they own it and I don't. But um, so that was kind of our deal. And, you know, I thought I was going to write, this is what happened on the ground. This is what I went through and this is what happened on the ground. And that's why it, it turns into a three part book really, because at the end, right. So Brian was killed in 2017. I received my final brief in April, 2018, but I didn't receive the AFRICOM final redacted report until April, 2019. So I had already finished the manuscript. And when I started reading through that redacted report, that's when I started realizing, oh my gosh, 
I am essentially contradicting completely what AFRICOM states happened. And the army is saying what happens. And that for me was a scary moment. And I had to discuss that with my publisher and with my agent, you know, am I okay with this? And, and are we moving forward? Because now this is, am I going to end up being sued or attacked because I'm going up against these huge organizations or commands? So. And who was helping you out with that? Um, fortunately, my agent calmed me down <laughs> and uh, just helped me as far as, you know, this kind of thing has been done before. It can be done. And then taking it to the publisher and making sure that I had the right legal team. And fortunately, with Putnam, that means I'm, I'm rolled into Penguin Random House. And so there was enough behind me that I was I was safe. And so we could we could cover all the legal things without crossing any lines that could get me into trouble um, while still telling the truth. Army come after you? Any? No. That's a different world when you're getting into that because it goes from the military. I had, I had to deal with it, but on a completely different level, I, I was, it's amazing when everyone helps you and works with it. It did kind of goes as smooth as you think. Right. And, and then coming in and from, from, from your angle, yeah, it absolutely has to be difficult. And yeah. those publishing houses. I had houses. to make a point. I, I basically had to make a decision. If they come after me and they take everything, am I okay with it? And I think I realized, A, what are they going to do to me? They already killed my husband, played his his death on national TV. And my kids have seen, you know, at least one of my kids have seen it. Um, you know, they lied to me. And basically completely dishonored the sacrifice my husband and my family made. So what are they going to do? Sue the widow? Um, I, yeah. I kind of reached a point where that was fine. And then the book, when someone, when you decided to do that and put that in line and it just kept, and you were at Random House? Yes. All right. Talk about that. Um, when the book came out, what that was like, it was pretty overwhelming. Honestly, the whole process was mind blowing because I had gone from being, um, pretty much full-time mom because I have a child on the spectrum, which was a whole nother thing. And, um, just, you know, stay at home mom. I didn't have this grandiose idea of doing something big. But I think when life demands it, you either step up to the plate or you spend the rest of your life regretting it. And in that moment, I had no other choice. And so to feel like um, each step of the way, I was doing exactly what I was supposed to do. And, you know, I, in my mind and in my life, that's because God was with me and he was giving me the strength and this was all part of his plan. And I was the right person at the right time to do the right thing. And what a shame if I hadn't. And so as I went, um, things just, just kept falling into line and there were incredible people who helped me every step of the way. I mean, it wasn't me. I'm not some great author or some brave lady, you know, I'm just a human doing the oh, really? right thing at oh, the right oh, time. Really? <laughs> What side are you? Are you just looking from this angle? And another thing, when the boss is with you, don't ever worry about anything. 
<laughs> you know what yeah. I'm talking about? I know it's still, there's nerves. There is. There, I, there always is. There has to be. That's life. That's that tingle and all that nervousness you get. That's part of it. That's how you know you're making progress. But if you got the boss man walking beside you, you don't worry about nothing. Yeah. That's like I, it's, some people get, they sweat and, and, and get nervous about what, don't ever look at it like you're having to go through it. Like, look at it. He's taking care of it. You're just along for the ride. That's so true. And, you know, it, it had to be in his plan because I've always been a very like socially anxious and very shy person. But once I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and God's behind me, there's, there's a different boldness that doesn't exist in any other, you know, area of my life. And so that's where this comes into play where I'm like, okay, I've just been training for this my whole life. And this is the moment because the minute I stepped into it, all of a sudden, I mean, people are stepping in and helping me that I can't understand why they are, but. Oh, you can't believe who shows up. You can't yeah. believe who shows up when you start walking the path like that. Right. And, and yeah. I, it is overwhelming, right? It is. I mean, to pray for a, a top five publisher and then laugh and think, right. And then, you know, the biggest publisher in the world offers me a book deal. I just went, this is insane. Isn't that I didn't even get, you know, an agent to take me on for the first year of this journey. And now I've got an agent and the biggest publisher in the world. There's something up there in New York. When you go visit those houses like that, there's something. When they gave me my agent, I remember he, uh, he, he's since passed, but he was great. He had a British accent. He was tall, skinny looking, had the wingtip shoes with the sweater that tied around. Like, Marcus, darling, I, you know, I'm the Navy SEAL. Ho, ho, you know, just great. And then going to see all those houses, and I got to go to see Penguin and Random House as well. I had to visit them as well. It was an honor. I was dressed up in the Navy uniform, getting the whole, do that whole nine yards. And it is, it, it's intimidating. It's just like you read... In the stories or, or in, see on the movies and stuff like that. I think I said that backwards. But it, it's, it's, uh, it's exciting and overwhelming. And the fact that you're getting to ride that is great. To take that pain and switch it around and push it like, in the direction you're going. So just keep going. Yeah, it's, it's really incredible. I feel, you know, it's, it's, overwhelm, it's overwhelming. And I think for me too, and I'm sure you experienced this, it's knowing that the price it came at. And for me, I keep, I think often that this should be Brian sitting here because he's the one who bought this for me. But that's why I don't want to waste what he bought. And if nothing else, I don't want to stop at telling the story. I want to continue on to accountability. So what happened to him and what happened to these families and my family doesn't happen to not that it doesn't happen to anybody else but that we make it more difficult for this type of situation to happen and that we hold those accountable who should be held accountable that they're no longer escaping from this i mean even just what we saw happen in afghanistan was horrific and where's the accountability there is none you mm. know oh you're and talking about just what recently happened yeah well there's about to be come March. yeah don't worry about that <laughs> justice doesn't come down so what are you uh so the book's been successful. What's uh, what are you doing now? Um, I'm starting to push for um, changes in the way our military investigations are done, so that we have a better oversight. You know, and I don't know what that'll look like, but I do know that um, we can't have you know a command like Africom appointing the generals to who will then like the investigating officers who will then investigate AFRICOM. 
you know, because that's essentially what happened in this case, and that's not acceptable. Um, so I don't know what that looks like, but that needs to be changed. And the other thing that needs to be changed is the way that officers move up through the ranks. They move up through the ranks without any um, input from those they're leading. How can you lead people and continue to lead people if you're doing a poor job and everybody knows it under you, but those who are at your level, it's like a good old boy system where they help each other continue moving through the ranks, no matter how good or bad of a leader they are. I think we need input from those guys who are on the ground being led um, by these officers before they're able to continue to move through the ranks. What do you hope readers will take away from uh, the book uh, and your experience? Um, you know, there's so many things that, you don't have to just accept what you're being told. If you know it's a lie, there are places you can go. Honestly, the men on the ground, they want you to know the truth. They won't tell you unless you ask, though, you know, and that's just how it is. You don't. And if you're being told that they're the bad guys, go figure it out for yourself, because they probably aren't. Um, that, that happens a lot. Because, you know, like in this case, these guys were they were put under a gag order, so they weren't allowed to speak to us. And so we assumed that what we were hearing was true, and it wasn't. So, you know, I want people to take away that the, the men on the ground are doing, doing their job and to trust them. And that, you know, I want them to, gosh, there's just so many things. Um, in the end, though, when it comes to this specific story, I don't want people to think Niger ambush and automatically think Captain Perazzini. I want them to think automatically Lieutenant Colonel Painter. Until he's held accountable, I want that name in their head. And the other thing I want people to realize is that, you know, you can do anything you set your mind to. Um, just, yeah, Amen. whatever is gonna, you need to do, do it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. That's a lot. I know. Absolutely. I mean, you've been through a lot. And I, I heard you say that Brian kind of went, it's more, he was getting into the investing, man. That's an investment in life. Uh, Y'all are paired up. And I mean, you, it's a give and take, a learn and, and a love and a passion it drives you in the direction that you're going. So live your life, do the best you can with it. That's all we got down here. We only get one day, right? Yeah. So make the best yeah. of it. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow we don't know if we're going to see it. So we got one day. Give it everything you got. But I need to go back and just remember all the <laughs> pull out all the great stuff that you were quoting out to write a self help book. That was amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. I learned a lot from you. Absolutely. Where can well, people I get the book? Being on, you know, this is I love doing this, and um, yeah, you know, I, of course, I've read your book, so I was super excited to come on and just you know speak with you guys, and I know following your campaign, so yeah. I don't, it, it, I it don't, and I don't. I, I, what I'm, I mean, in most, uh, you know, how, you know, you have you have that rarest eye color on the planet. Oh yeah. <laughs> Did you know that? Uh, yeah. The blue. You're mm -hmm. like this grayish hazel color, grayish blue color. Yeah. Not that I'm staring at your eyes. I'm just, <laughs> and no reason I say My that. face is really close to the screen. <laughs> so, I've been looking at yeah. them the whole time. I was yeah, supposed yeah. to look at it's, it's so funny. It's so, it's so funny. For whatever reason, it was yesterday. I was, I was going through my, 
uh, neuropsych books that I had in grad school, and it's going over eye color. Like brown is the most common, then it's blue, then it's green, hazel, and then hers is the rarest. Really? Point zero zero one percent of the world, the planet. There's also heterochromium, and amber's a color. Ours aren't brown; they're actually amber. Shut up. Dang, y'all are talking deep. Hey, where deep. can where can people get your book? Where can how can people support you? Find you all that fun stuff. So my book is everywhere. Books are sold. Amazon's a great place to grab it. Um, it's you know in Kindle, hardback, and Audible. It'll be coming out in paperback in the spring. Um, I'm all over social media, and the easiest way to find my social media is to go to my author page, michelleblacksacrifice.com. And everything is listed there. Perfect. We'll awesome. be sure. To, we'll be sure to plug it. Michelle, thank you so much yeah, for taking the time to chat with us, and for your yeah, sacrifice and for your service to our country and your, and your husband. continued service. One hundred percent. Thank you so much. God bless you. Absolutely. Thank you both.